don't know what you think when I mention the word consecration. You might think it's a sort of techni technical, theological word that isn't of any relevance to you. Or you might think of a kind of high church practice of consecrating <laughs> buildings and items and setting them apart as sacred places for sacred usage. Or you might associate the word consecration with a way of thinking that perhaps the sun seems a bit old-fashioned, a bit idealistic, perhaps unrealistic, a bit extreme, a bit uptight, a kind of hyper-religious uh, kind of way of thinking. Now, the word consecration doesn't come in the passage we read. It does come elsewhere in the Bible. But I think the essence of consecration uh, is here in the, the last few verses of Titus chapter 2. And I think this is a concept that's very important and perhaps to some extent neglected these days. It draws together various strands of how we should look at life as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we mean by consecration? I would, I would describe it something like this. Intentionally setting apart my whole self to be devoted to the service of the Lord. It's a wholehearted commitment to separation from evil and pursuit of what's good because I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. As you can see, there's various components, various overlapping elements there. There's the idea of being set apart or separated. There's the idea of devotion and commitment. There's the thought of holiness and Christ-likeness. There's obedience and service. There's belonging and identity. And all this comes together in the principle of consecration. So tonight, I want us to think about what I'd call the consecration mindset the consecration mindset starting with titus 2 verses 11 to 14 and then uh, moving beyond that to other passages of scripture as well i hope to show that consecration is at the heart of what it is to be a christian it's not an optional extra it may be true that some christians are marked by a particularly strong sense of consecration but all of us should be. It is the biblical template for how we live. And so to neglect consecration is to distort God's truth and to fail to fulfil all of God's will for us. So first, to start with, consecration commanded. And I'm going to read again at the last few verses of Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. What's Paul saying here? At this stage, I really just want to paraphrase phrase, and clarify and explain uh, the words here. So he begins not with us, but with God's 
grace, God's saving grace, that light that has penetrated moral and spiritual darkness. And when God's grace comes to us, it doesn't leave us unchanged. God's grace transforms us. When we're saved through Christ, there's a new outlook that's produced in our thinking. God's grace, Paul says, teaches us, it trains us, it guides us into a new approach to life. And Paul says here that to follow Christ is to break with what is evil, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to say no, to reject decisively, continually, everything that's that's ungodly, that's contrary to God and his word and his will, and to say no to those uh, worldly lusts, those passions, those desires that can control us for things in this world, desires for pleasures or possession or power or whatever, we're to renounce it all. We're to want rid of it, not to allow any kind of residue of those things to reside and stay in our lives, to say, I'm going to chuck it out. I'm going to leave it behind. I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to turn my back on such things. That's the negative side. And then Paul says, in contrast, in the here and now, we should live a life soberly, righteously, and godly. As regards ourselves, uh, we should live soberly. That word perhaps is a bit too narrow because we think of sober as meaning not drunk, and uh, obviously we shouldn't be drunk, but uh, it's more than that. I suppose you could say if someone is drunk, they may lose their self-control. If someone is drunk, they have gone to excess. And so this word is about living Uh, A life that's self-disciplined and self-controlled. A life of moderation. A life that's not self-indulgent. That's how we should live as regards ourselves. As regards others, we should live righteously. A life of integrity, honesty, justice. It's obvious to other people. They can see that's our approach, our attitude to life. And as regards God himself... A life that is godly, obedient to him, devoted to him, reverent and submissive. And those three features, soberly, righteously, godly, are distinct features of the consecrated life. And we are to live that way in the light of the future. We're in an interim phase now, this present age, Paul says. But we look for, we patiently wait for and expect... The return of Christ in glory. That is our hope. That's our goal. That's our ultimate future. And that motivates how we live now. And we also are motivated by what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And the purpose for which he's done it. Paul says he gave himself for us. That he might redeem us. From every lawless deed. He has paid the highest price to rescue us from the consequences and the power of our sin. He rescues us from every lawless deed, every way in which we've broken and failed to keep God's law. The implication of that, of course, is that now we commit to live in line with, in accordance with God's law. Christ came to rescue us to make us clean, to purify us, to remove the pollution of sin and to make us 
his people. If you're familiar with the authorised version, you'll know that here it talks about a peculiar people. And of course, there are many uh, well-worn jokes about uh, Christians being peculiar people. Uh, But the word means that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his (coughs) own people. And so our lives are to be distinctive. And Paul shows how they're distinctive. We're to be zealous for good works. Not just nice and vaguely well-meaning sort of people, but people who are eager to do what is good in God's sight, however, whenever, wherever we can. And so you can see here that consecration is clearly commanded. Paul lays on us a responsibility, an obligation, and a privilege founded upon God's grace. So it's not an option, it's a commandment. The consecration mindset is what our God expects of us. But secondly, I say here consecration is grounded. It's grounded in our experience of God's grace. Paul says, if you have experienced God's grace, if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are living, waiting for his return, then this mindset follows. If he gave himself to redeem us from all evil, to make us pure, then we belong to him. And then we're keen to live as he, his, as he desires, with every fibre of our being. Now, it's very clear from that that you can't be consecrated unless you're first converted and cleansed from sin. So if you're here tonight and you haven't come to Christ, you haven't experienced God's grace in your own life, you haven't been cleansed from sin, well, consecration can't be possible. It starts with God's grace. You need to experience that for yourself. Come to Christ, put your trust in him turning from your own sin and your own works to rest in what he has done. But for all of us, it's vital that we don't detach this consecration mindset from the foundation here. You know, if you take a building that's resting on foundations and transplant it and plonk it down somewhere else without the foundations, it might look the same, but it isn't the same. It's not going to be stable, is it? If you chop a tree down and leave its roots behind and plant it somewhere else, again, it may look the same to start with, but it's deprived of the source of life, so it won't endure, it'll shrivel and wither away. And so consecration needs to be grounded in God's grace and Christ's sacrifice and his purpose for us, because otherwise it just becomes a sort of impossible set of duties. It lacks all motivating power. So consecration must be grounded. We see that in this passage, and we see it uh, elsewhere in Scripture. I hope you don't mind, by the way, tonight. I'm going to dart around a number of passages, because I do want to show that what, what we're looking at here is something reflected right through Scripture. You might think of the beginning of Romans 12, where Paul has spent 11 chapters uh, displaying the glory of God's grace in the Gospel. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 
acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The consecration mindset follows from what Paul has said previously about the wonderful grace of God in the gospel. You might think of 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul warns against sin, but then he says at the end of that chapter, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. A consecration mindset. I don't belong to myself. I've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the same thought in 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, there he reminds us. He says, God tells us, be holy for I am holy. He says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Consecration follows from what we understand of Christ's work for us. And not just as a kind of mechanical logic, but as a heart response of love. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, the love of Christ compels us, constrains us, drives us forward. So it's grounded in the work of God, in Christ's work for us, and of course as well in the Spirit's work in us. By nature, sin affects every part of us. When God's Spirit works, again, he touches every part of us so that a whole person is transformed. Just in the next chapter in Titus, Paul speaks about the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, he talks about us being renewed and washed and purified. So this isn't something, a kind of independent initiative or decision of our own. We are responsible, we are commanded, but this follows from God's work for us in Christ and in us by his spirit. It's a religion of the heart. So it's not something we can switch on and off. It's not something just affecting part of our lives. We've been redeemed body and soul, and so this is to be all pervasive. We may be swimming against the tide of human society, but it's in harmony, in line with God's grace and God's purpose for us. So consecration commanded and consecration grounded. Third, consecration illustrated. I want to look back briefly at the Old Testament. Going to the Old Testament not uh, for detailed prescription and the doctrine explained, but for a couple of illustrations. One is that of the priests. We have detailed descriptions in Exodus and Leviticus and so on about how the priests were set apart for God's service. And it was very serious. They had to wash before, in a certain way before they embarked on their duties. They had to put on special linen clothes. The high priest had the words, holiness to the Lord, on his headgear. There was devotion there, there was distinctiveness. And actually, the Lord said to Israel that although certain men were set apart to be priests, God said to the people that they were all to be priests. In essence, he said in, in 
Exodus chapter 19. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's consecration. Now we know the people of Israel by and large failed in this in this area, because for some, perhaps many of them, uh, God's grace was absent in their lives, and they were uh, far too much like the, the nations around them. But still that model, that picture, uh, applies to us. In First Peter 2, we're told that uh, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We are set apart for God to bring our worship and our thanksgiving and indeed our whole lives to him. That's the consecration mindset. The other Old Testament picture is of the Nazarites, the separated ones, people who devoted themselves in a particular way to God. There was a prescribed pattern of life given for them. They were to not, not to cut their hair. They were to avoid dead bodies. They were not to drink wine or eat grapes. Again, not, not something that we follow in detail, but illustrative to show that spiritual life should not be limited and curtailed and polluted and spoiled, but entire and pure. Both uh, Samson and John the Baptist were Nazarites uh, in a special way. They were uh, marked out from before their birth. The Lord spoke to their parents uh, that they should be set apart for him. Uh, you could put alongside them Samuel, whose mother uh, devoted him to the Lord even before he was born. Uh, the lesson being not that parents should dedicate their children to the Lord, that's a good thing, but when we're born again into God's family, our lives should be from the outset, from the beginning, dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's consecration illustrated. But fourthly, I want to think about consecration's focus. And here I'm making a distinction between uh, what you might call sanctification generally, holiness generally, and uh, consecration. You might think that's a bit artificial because uh, they are kind of two shades of the same colour. They're interwoven in scripture. They're both for all Christians, but... The consecration mindset, I think, is something with an end in view, something specific, something focused. Just to prove that, um, I go to John 17, uh, the great prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, before his arrest and betrayal in Gethsemane. And praying to his father for his disciples, he says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sake, sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now we know the Lord Jesus Christ was perfectly holy. He didn't need to be sanctified in the sense of becoming more holy. But he is saying that he sanctifies himself in the sense that he consecrated himself. He set himself apart. He consciously dedicated himself to the task that his father had given him. And so he does the same for his disciples, that they too, as he sends them into the world, might be set apart to serve him. 
And we see that in the verses we read in Titus 2. Paul speaks about being his own special people, zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. We see that too in Ephesians 2, where having spoken about how we're saved by grace, uh, Paul says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this isn't a kind of passive or abstract holiness. It's something active, something committed, something practical. Now, let's be clear, this isn't commitment and activity and busyness without holiness. Uh, that's something very ugly, and that sometimes happens. You know, Christians can be all focused on being busy in the Lord's service and neglect the idea of personal holiness. Well, that's, that, that's wrong. The Lord's first prerequisite, if we're to serve him, is that we should be holy as he is holy. As in Titus we're told, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, living soberly, righteously and godly. Christians are called saints. We are holy people by definition, set apart for the Lord and to live lives of purity. To be, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, a vessel for honour, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. But there's a focus here on this Consecration mindset, having this energising desire, this desire. J.C. Ryle describes it as a burning desire to please God, to do his will, and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. So it's not fanaticism, and it's not enthusiasm to promote uh, my own church, or my own pet project, or my own views, or myself, or anything like that. But it's a desire to serve God's will, God's kingdom, God's glory. So the consecration mindset is never apathetic, never reluctant, never half-hearted. Nor is it fatalistic. We don't say, well, it's up to God to do his will and he's in charge, so I don't need to worry about it. No, we say the Sovereign Lord has ordered my time and my place and my circumstances. He's prepared good works for me to walk in. His normal means of working in this world is through people. Not some special elite, um, some uh, super-religious characters who have special gifts, but all believers, including you and including me. Zealous for good works. In Titus 3 verse 1, Paul says we should be ready for every good work. What kind of good works? Well, that's pretty broad, isn't it? If we are zealous for good works, if we have the consecration mindset, the Lord will direct, he will make clear what he wants us to do. There are various passages that talk about what this look, looks like. It's not something that's the same for all of us because... We have different circumstances, different gifts, different opportunities. But it's that readiness to serve in whatever way possible. In uh, Romans 12, um, after that introduction where Paul 
says we should give ourselves as a living sacrifice, he then says, uh, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The Lord simply expects us to put ourselves at his disposal for whatever he wants us to do. Do you remember the woman who anointed the Lord um, just before, in the week before his crucifixion? He praised her by saying she has done what she could. And that's what the Lord wants from us. The consecration mindset is focused on serving the Lord. So we don't rule things out as being too costly, too much effort, too much trouble. But this mindset determines and shapes our choices. How we use our time, how we use our money, how we use our energy. What might it mean for you? Well, I don't know. For some it might mean missionary service for the Lord. It might mean full-time Christian ministry. It might mean uh, giving your money in various ways. It might mean various acts of kindness and care and witness to others. They may seem modest things, and yet the consecration mindset says, I'm focused on the Lord's honour, the Lord's will, the Lord's glory. So that's consecration's focus. Fifthly, I've got six points, by the way, so we're not too, uh, too far off. Fifthly, consecration's cost. Because it does come at a cost. Paul talks about denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. That can be hard because although those things are wrong, and we know they are, uh, they may seem very attractive to us. Those worldly desires may be very compelling have a great pull upon us because we have that old sinful nature within us that is biased and attracted towards such things. We've got to say no to them and that can be costly. And it's more than that. The Lord Jesus spoke about denying ourselves, taking up the cross and following him. He said that even before he was crucified so he knew what was coming for himself. That was the path he took And he says that's the path we're to take. Not just to to deny what's wrong, but to deny ourselves. Sometimes, just naturally, an easier path, a simpler alternative, might seem what we would like to do. But there are times where we have to say, no, I believe this is what the Lord wants me to do. The consecration mindset says, if the Lord Jesus Christ took this path and he calls me to it, I'll follow him down it, however difficult it might seem. Imagine you're um, you know, going hiking or mountain biking in the mountains or the hills. Now, that might seem more easy to imagine for some of, some of us than others, but imagine you're doing that and it's a steep, rugged path and you're, someone else is taking the lead. And you come to a place where you look and you just think, too difficult, too dangerous, too steep, too rough. And everything in you 
says, can't be that way. I don't want to go that way. Well, it can sometimes be very much like that, can't it, in the Christian life. The Lord brings us to a challenging point where we think, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. Well, the consecration mindset says, however loudly myself, that self inside is screaming, I don't want that. I want something easier. If Christ is calling me that way, that is the way I take. This was the attitude of the Apostle Paul himself. He was certainly someone who practiced what he preached, wasn't he? He says at one point in Acts 20, I do not count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. He was very conscious that the Lord had called him to serve him, however hard it might be. In 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about how he made himself a servant to all that I might win them all. He says, you know, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. Weak, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He goes on to talk about how he strives and he fights and he runs. He says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I preach to others, I myself shall become disqualified. He put himself through hard times, not, you know, in some kind of macho way, but because this was the way the Lord called him. And the consecration mindset meant he followed that path no matter what the cost. In 2 Timothy 2, he says, we must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he gives three pictures the picture of the soldier who doesn't entangle himself with the affairs of this life, but is dedicated to his service. The athlete, who is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, who has certain rules imposed upon him. And the farmer, who is hardworking. Those are examples for us as to what this means, the consecration mindset. A certain dedication, a certain focus meaning that we might pass over certain things, certain things that are not inherently sinful, things that might be legitimate, but they're not our priority. They're not helpful to us. Our commitment to Christ doesn't leave room in our lives for those things. Now, this is where we don't give a list of things and say every Christian should do this, this and this, and not do that, that and that. It's between us and the Lord, but a consecration mindsets recognises that there may be a cost, there will be a cost in serving the Lord. Many godly Christians have made resolutions to themselves, not to others, but to themselves, as to how they will live their lives to God's glory. And history shows that there is very often a high cost to this. You might say, you know, good works, what's not to like about that? Well, we know Satan won't like it. He will vigorously oppose anyone who seeks to consecrate themselves to the Lord. We know other people around will certainly misunderstand you. They'll wonder why you live like you do, why you don't go along with them in everything, why your priorities are different. And they may criticise you and look down on you and mock you for that. Sadly, sometimes other Christians may misunderstand you. You know, those who have served the Lord in the most outstanding ways have certainly had to have this mindset. Uh, to be a missionary or to be a martyr, 
recognises this. I do have a bit of a concern sometimes that in modern evangelicalism uh, we're perhaps too anxious to avoid fanaticism and stress and danger and overwork and so on. And, you know, some of the heroes of the past, if they were to turn up today, uh, they wouldn't be seen as heroes. They would be seen as extremists. And people would say, no, 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 you, you ease off. You don't go that far. You give yourself, cut yourself some slack. Well, balance is needed. You know, we shouldn't be reckless. We shouldn't burn ourselves out and so on. But we're each individually accountable to the Lord to be zealous for good works, even at a cost. Certainly beware of despising and mocking and discouraging others who are seeking to live in this way. But it's commanded for us all, so we all must recognise that there is a cost to consecration. But to conclude, finally, consecration's reward. Paul speaks about us looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The trials of this life are not forever. We're only in this temporary period that, while it might seem long for us, is nothing compared to eternity. Paul's outlook, he describes this in Philippians 3. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He had his eyes on what is to come. He knew what awaited him. Right at the end of his ministry in 2 Timothy 4, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So for all God's people, all who adopt this consecration mindset, there is that great reward when the king returns in glory with his reward with him. Do you remember the parable of the talents? There were the three servants. We're not to be like the, the lazy servant, the one who buried the talents in the ground. He mistook his Lord's attitude. He said, I thought you were an austere man. Totally wrong, totally mistaken. And you know, I should say consecration shouldn't have an austere look. It's not all about cracking the whip. Um, I hope I haven't cracked the whip tonight. I've tried to definitely avoid doing that. It's not a list of rules. It's not a, a list of instructions that we've all got to live our lives checking this list of things. In the parable, the master didn't crack the whip. He gave his servants the talents. He told them to occupy, to busy themselves in his service. And then he left them with that responsibility and came back later. Those with the right view, they loved him. And so they served him, and they received a double blessing and a double reward. What do I mean by that? Well, first, there was the reward of seeing the increase. The one who had five talents turned them into ten. The one who had two turned them into four. And so the consecration mindset in serving the Lord sees flourishing and growth and development 
and blessing even now. We experience the Lord's faithfulness and support in our lives. You know, it's when we really seek to serve the Lord under pressure that we know some of the most wonderful answers to prayer, don't we? Times when perhaps, you know, you can't explain it to somebody else, but you very much know the Lord's presence and support and grace. That's a reward in and of itself. But as we serve the Lord and he uses us and blesses us, we have a reward. But then, of course, there's the approval of Christ in the entry into glory. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And it's interesting in that parable that he says exactly the same words to the servant who had five talents and turned them into ten, and the one we might have thought was perhaps less favoured and had two talents and turned them into four. Their circumstances were different, but they were both faithful, and they both received this reward from the Lord. How kind are the Lord's words? To say, well done, good and faithful servants. And when we look at our lives and sometimes think, well, how poor is my service to the Lord? How sluggish, how blundering, how reluctant, how complaining, how poor quality in all ways. Not up to much. And yet in God's grace, he gives us his approval and his reward. His grace appeared in the first place, bringing light into our darkness, forgiveness for our sins, redemption through the blood of Christ. His grace trains us and enables us, and his grace rewards us. So the consecration mindset, something that runs right through scripture, and something we're each in need of in these times. Finish with two Old Testament examples. Remember the 12 spies. And there are only two, weren't there? Joshua and Caleb, who were prepared to honour the Lord and seek to encourage the people to obey the Lord and go into the land that he had promised to give them. They were devoted to the Lord when everyone else wasn't. We're told of Caleb that he wholly followed the Lord. And we see the same in Joshua, that at the end of his life, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the consecration mindset. What about you and me? Will we take this approach to life? Will we recognise that we've been bought at a price, that we belong to the Saviour, and our lives are for his service? Let's be blessed as we seek to adopt this mindset. Now, until our journey's done. Amen.